Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. As you turn there, I want to say something that just hit me. I don't think I say this enough. For sure, we do not say this enough. Praise the Lord. Listen, praise the Lord for Calvary Baptist Church. Praise the Lord for our church. Praise the Lord for His grace shown to us through it. I'm thankful for you. I love you. I'm thankful for this pulpit. I'm thankful for this hour to preach. Praise the Lord for the blessings of God through our church. Today we're in Acts chapter 25. Our message this morning is entitled, Facing Festus. Facing Festus. Now, we're going to get started very quickly this morning, so I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me for a word of prayer. Acts 25, Facing Festus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for our Savior. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. We're thankful for restoration with the Holy God, reconciliation with the marvelous, gracious God through the work of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, I pray as we have assembled today, Lord, I pray that as we started singing and as we just finished singing that the, the point of all of that was your glory. Uh, that your good name would be heaved up and held up. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, uh, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would teach. I pray that you would direct. And I pray it couldn't be normal, that it wouldn't be normal, but it would be a supernatural thing. You speaking graciously, kindly to us as your people today. Lord, we come and we just tell you we love you. We tell you we praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. Lord, I pray if there's somebody hearing today in this room, maybe in some other means, hearing in, 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 in the, the, the good news that we're preaching, the good news of the gospel, I pray that in this day, in this very hour, that they might turn to you and receive you in faith. Lord, we, we love you and we worship you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I like to think about or I like to read about are the events of history. I've always been that way. That's one of my favorite subjects. I've always enjoyed history. Well, recently I was reading about the volcano Mount Versusius and its famous eruption in A.D. 79. I was reading about that. That eruption covered over the Roman city of Pompeii and several other cities. It's funny how we always focus on the one city, but several other cities and towns as well. Caught off guard by the exploding volcano, thousands of people were killed. Now, to me, that's a very interesting account. That's interesting to, to go and look at, especially since they can go and survey the ruins of that ancient city. So I think that's an awesome thing. Well, to me, one of the most interesting things is that I read that there were actually warning signs of the eruption. Now, I never have heard that, never really thought much about that. But one of the interesting things is that there were actually warning signs of the eruption. Historians recorded that for several days, maybe even weeks before the eruption, that the ground was trembling, a lot like an earthquake that the ground was shaking in that region. Uh, some folks reported that even noises were coming from the mountain. And so if you were to get close, you could actually hear the quaking, the noises from the mountain. Uh, not only that, but the seas that are, were close to the event, uh, it's reported that areas of the sea uh, 
were boiling up in, in their wa the waters were boiling up. Coming from the deep were boiling waters. Now, all of those are interesting, but to me, most interesting was the fact that for those several days before the eruption, it was recorded that the animals, both domestic and wild, were fleeing from the mountain. And so the, the animals knew something was about to happen, and the animals were fleeing in mass from that region. And yet, on the morning of the eruption, most people were caught off guard, even to their own peril. I wonder if we in the church today are maybe in that same mindset. And I, I wonder if we are aware of what is going on around us, or if we, like those ancient people in Pompeii, are oblivious to the signs going on right around us. Listen to me, hear me very carefully this morning. The single greatest need of our world is the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. We're acting like there's going to be some other answer. We're trying to find some answer. Listen, the single greatest need of the world today is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is our hope, and it is the only hope, and it is the need of the world. You want to know what the world needs? It needs the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And... The means of the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ is to be the church. That's what God has told us in his word. That's what we're learning, finding out in his word. We are agents of good news. And the honest truth is, if the world is going to hear the good news of Jesus, it will only be through the faithful church. Do you know that? If the world is going to hear of a Savior, if the world's going to hear of the forgiveness of sin, if the world's going to hear of eternal life, it's only going to be from the testimony and the witness of the faithful church. Therefore, the church must be active and the church must be ready. Do you hear what I've said? The only hope is the good news of Jesus. The means of the spread of the good news is the church that's active and ready. We must be active in the church. We must be ready in the church. Here's the question. Are we? Are we? Are you? Are we ready in the church today? Are we ready to stand on God's truth? Are we ready to declare hope alone in faith in Jesus Christ? Are we active in the church today? Are we ready to stand in the church today? Or are we like those folks of Pompeii about their business as usual? And I start to think about that, and we say, yes, I love my church, and yes, I try to get to the church and participate when I can, but are we really, really just going through the motions? Are we really just going through business as usual as the signs of the times go passing by? Friend, be sure today, in our study, through his word, God is leading us. And I can't say this enough. I've been saying it all the way through our study of Acts. God is leading us today in the church. Through his word, God is directing us through his word. He is preparing us as his church through his word. And so, therefore, we must be ready. Do you know these aren't just sermons? You know, this isn't just information that we're passing on. Hey, that's good to know. 
God is preparing you. He's preparing us in his church. We must be ready. Well, today we continue the saga of Paul as he is held and as he is on trial. Last time, it was two weeks ago, last time we moved through the entire 24th chapter, I was thinking about that. I think that's the most verses I've ever preached on in a single sermon. It was a ton of verses. Well, today we're going to move through the entire 25th chapter, a bunch of verses as well. We're going to keep up that pace. Now, today we're going to look at the account. We're going to move through the account of the 25th chapter, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you four truths that we need to know, and more than that, four truths that we need to embrace as the church today. So listen, God is preparing you. God has a message for you in these days, and we need to be ready. So listen as God speaks, as he directs through his word. Now, for the context, so far, Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. He made it there. Uh, He has been arrested there in Jerusalem. As part of that event, he addresses the Jews. He has been sent to Caesarea, the home of the regional Roman governor, and there he testified to the governor, Felix. Felix, when we read the account, found him innocent of all the charges that were made, yet to appease the Jews, he leaves Paul in prison. So he says there's no reason to kill him. There's really no reason to even hold him. But to appease the Jews back in Jerusalem, he leaves Paul in prison. Since that time, there is now a new Roman governor named Festus. Paul has been held in Caesarea for over two years. And that brings us back to our verses to our account today. Starting in chapter 25, Verse 1, Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Festus is installed to replace Felix. The Bible tells us very quickly, really three days after he's installed, he leaves Caesarea and he goes up to Jerusalem. Now I want you to remember this. Remember His job, the reason he is being placed there, the reason he has this position is to keep peace in the region. That's why the government, the Roman government has installed him there. His job is to keep the taxes coming in. He's to keep conflict out of the region, to keep peace in the region. Well, part of that will depend, a large part of that will depend on his relationship with the Jews. And so he's put into office. Three days later, very quickly, he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 2. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, verse 3, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Now it's interesting The Jews had not forgotten about Paul. It had been two years since he had been gone to Caesarea, two years that he had been held there, and the first issue on their agenda was the dealing with Paul. Also remember two years earlier, the plot was to ambush Paul. They had 40 men that were ready 
to ambush, ambush Paul and to kill him on the way to the trial. Well, they are still set on that plan. They say, bring him up here, let us try him, and their plan is to kill him on the trip. Verse 4, Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Verse 5, Therefore he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about that man, let them prosecute him. Now again, we're starting to see this pattern with Festus. He is wise in his dealings with the Jews. He says he is in Caesarea. That's where he should be. And he says, if you have any charges against him, I'm about to go back there. You come with me and make official charges against Paul. He has a very wise conclusion. You come with me. If you have issues with him, make your charges there where they should be made officially. Verse 6. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, here there in Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. Here in the, in the sixth verse, he goes back to Caesarea. He takes his seat on the tribunal. That means he is now on the judgment seat. It means that he is now holding court, and there is an official Roman proceeding taking place. Now, I think it's interesting, again, how matter-of-fact this is, how fast it happens. This is an issue he's seeking to resolve. And so he goes back to Caesarea. The next day, he opens court, and there is an official Roman proceeding. Verse 7. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Remember, this is the second time they've made this trip. Remember, when I read this, I go, doesn't this sound exactly like the preceding chapter with Felix. This is the second time they've made this trip. This is the second time they've made these charges. These are the second time that these charges are brought. Now, see here that it says, and they were bringing many and serious charges. Picture this. They've surrounded him. There's an official court in session. They've surrounded him, and they are launching the charges against him. They are making many charges but not just light charges, they're making serious charges. Now I want you to see this. It is still true today. It is easy to make accusations. It is easy to lob out charges if you do not have to prove them. You notice that? That's what happens there. It's the same today. They can say whatever they want. There's no proof. There's not going to be any proof. And so they can make all the accusations they wish. There's no proof. Verse 8. While Paul said in his own defense, I've committed no offense, either against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Again, in verse 8, Paul says what he's always been saying. There's no proof because there's no event. I'm innocent. I'm innocent against the Jews. I'm innocent against the Roman government. I am innocent. Verse 9, 
But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Now, once again, we see here, Festus is wise. He is crafty, and he wants the favor of the Jews. And so he hears how confident Paul is, how sure he is. And so he says, would you go up to Jerusalem and not stand before them, but stand before me? It's a wise move. He'll, he'll appease the Jews. Let's go there and have our trial, not before them, but before me. Verse 10. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. Verse 11, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul says, this is the proper court. He knows what will happen to him in Jerusalem. Remember, two years ago, he heard about the plot to kill him on the way to the trial. And so, as a Roman citizen, he appeals his case to the highest court. Knowing that there are no charges, knowing that they will not stand, he appeals to Caesar. All right, verse 12. Then, when Festus had conferred with his council, he goes to speak to his guys. He answered, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. It is said in verse 12, he appeals to Caesar. He, he confers with his council, and he says, it is done. You will go to Caesar. Verse 13. Now, when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. All right, we have a twist right here. King Agrippa, he is the king of Judea, the king of the Jews. His great-grandfather was King Herod. He is the leader appointed of the Jews, but we know he is corrupt. He is, he is loyal to Rome. Now, when I read about him, really, he is the consummate politician. Now, I'm sorry if any of you are politicians in here, but he is the consummate politician he really serves himself by standing in the middle. And so he tries to appease this group, and he tries to appease this group, but really he is just serving himself as he's working in the middle. Now it's interesting, Bernice is not his wife, Bernice is his sister. And she is in an incestuous relationship with him. She had three different husbands trying to cover that fact up. She is in an incestuous relationship with him. Understand this. These are lost, worldly, grotesque, evil people. That's who they are. All right, back to verse 14. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man who was left as prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered then that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused 
before, before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the chargers. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting. He thought they were going to have real charges. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. But at a loss on how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. King Agrippa listens. He hears Festus. Festus explains the situation to him, and then he responds in verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Now, think about that. Agrippa, no doubt, had heard all about this, being from Jerusalem. He'd heard about all the, the gossip that was tied to it. He heard all the commotion amongst the Jews. And so, hearing this explained, having this opportunity, he says he would like to hear himself. Verse 23. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice, amid great pomp, it's a big deal, and entered the auditorium, accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Now those are the facts. The facts are very clear, and yet Festus has a dilemma. Now listen to the dilemma in verse 26 and 27. I have decided to send him. He's appealed to the emperor, to Caesar, I have decided to send him, verse 26. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. I don't even have a charge to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. He is asked to have a, a spot before the highest court in the land, and he knows it's going to be absurd to send him there, but have no charges. Why have you appealed to this point? There are no charges. Festus has a dilemma. Now, Paul's about to respond. That's where we're going to start back next week. We're going to stop right there. Paul's about to respond. He's about to address King Agrippa. But we're going to stop right here, and we're going to go back, and we're going to lift out. We're going to see four things for us today, four things we must be aware of as the church if we're going to be active and ready as agents of the gospel today. Now, remember, that is our goal as the church. 
That is our purpose in the church. And so we're going to see four things we better be sure of if we're going to be active and ready as agents of the good news in the church. Okay, here we go. The first thing we see is this. The enemies of the gospel do not relent. The first thing we see, the enemies of the gospel do not relent. Now see this, they had followed Paul to Jerusalem. They had had no success there. They had traveled to Caesarea to accuse him before Felix. They had had no success there. They, they planned to silence him and kill him along the way. They had had no success there. He has been gone not traveling around, not out preaching somewhere, but he has been gone, silenced for two years in custody. That wasn't enough. And so here they are again, still full of hatred, still reviling Paul, still reviling the message of the good news. Be very certain today, the enemies of the gospel do not stop. The enemies of the gospel do not relent. Church, I want to tell you this morning, we had better know that today, especially in the environment we're living in, the culture of the world that we're living in. We better be sure of that. They hate the gospel, the good news. They hate our Savior, Jesus. And so they hate us today. They hate the church. The enemies of the gospel will not relent. The enemies of the gospel, they're not going to let up. There's not going to be some truce that comes further down the line. They do not relent. When you hear that this morning, do you start thinking, you know what, I better get prepared? I better get prepared. Do you start saying, you know what, I better get ready to stand? I better know God's word and I better be ready and quick with it. Do you start saying, you know what, I gotta, I've got to get in prayer and I've got to say, Lord, you're going to have to help us and embolden us in this. Or does it just roll off of you somehow? The enemies of the gospel aren't going to relent. You know what? I've got things to do this week. I've got bills to pay. I've got things I'm looking forward to in life. The enemies of the gospel aren't going to stop. You know what? That doesn't bother me. I'm all right. We must be prepared. First thing, the enemies of the gospel do not relent. Second thing is this, and be sure of this. This is a big deal. Second thing is this. The enemies of the gospel cannot win. The enemies of the gospel cannot win. Now what I mean, I want you to listen very carefully. What I mean is this. The truth will stand. And I, I can't say that loudly enough. I can't say that clearly enough. What I mean by that is the truth will stand. The truth has always stood. The truth will always stand. Now, I want you to notice here, they've made at least four attempts in just these episodes. They've made their charges. They've examined his message and they cannot win. Felix said the exact same thing. There's nothing to it. Now Festus says, I can't even write out a charge. There's nothing here. Church, I want you to be sure today, listen, in these crazy days, we are living in crazy days. Our power is in the clear truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope 
is in the clear truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you listen to me. We must be grounded in. We must be rooted in. We must be ready to uphold and defend the clear truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. You don't have to worry. You don't have to flinch. You don't have to go and try to invent another plan. You don't have to devise another message. The truth will always stand. Be confident in that. You can take truth. You can take confidence in that. The truth will always stand. Sometimes I think we start to go, well, it looks like we're losing. Well, it looks like we're missing out. Maybe we need to readapt. Maybe we need to reinvent this thing. The truth will always stand. Second point, the enemies of the gospel cannot win. That brings us to the third point. See this. Be ready for this. And so... Two, the enemies of the gospel cannot win. So three, so the enemies of the gospel deal in evil. The enemies of the gospel deal in treachery. The truth will stand, and so they resort to slander. The truth will stand, and so they resort to lies. The truth will stand. You can have confidence in that. So they start plots to kill they, they, they can't uh, attack the truth successfully. And so they uh, attempt to, to invoke every sort of evil to silence the messenger. That's what they do. The truth is going to stand. And so you know what? We've got to destroy the messenger. And they become treacherous. And they become evil. I must tell you, and maybe you know it, but I, I must tell you, we can be very sure today the gospel-declaring church can expect the attack of Satan. And we sit around and say, I don't, I don't like to hear that. I like a church where that doesn't happen. But I want to tell you, the gospel-declaring church, the church that says there is one hope and it's Jesus, there is one truth that saves and it's the good news of Jesus, the church that says our mission is not to match the world or not to appease the world, our mission is to tell the world of a risen Savior in Jesus, the church declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ can expect the attack of Satan. Jesus says as they hated him so they will hate us. Jesus says in Matthew 5, they're going to insult you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And so listen, we must be ready. The gospel declaring church can expect the attack of Satan. Third, the enemies of the gospel deal in evil and treachery. That brings us to the fourth point, the final thing we'll lift out of our section today. The fourth point is this, however, and yet, the answer is still to proclaim the gospel. Now, I hear that. You know what? The world hates the gospel. The world is opposed to the gospel. And yet, the answer, listen, the answer is still to proclaim the gospel. I want you to notice this, and I want you to think about this this morning. Do you know what would have fixed Paul's problems? All along, all along. Do you know what would have fixed his problems? Do you know what would have made his life easy? Do you know what would have made him popular with the government? Do you know what would have made him popular with people? That he'd have had a whole lot of friends. Do you know what would have fixed 
Paul's problem to just be silent. Paul, if you'll just be silent. Listen, I think about Paul. He knew the truth of Jesus. He was saved. He was going to heaven. He knew Jesus. He was saved. Good grief. He tried. How much can you try? He made an effort. That's good enough. He's saved. Paul, just be silent. Maybe you need to pick a better audience. Maybe you need to preach in safer places. But good grief, just be silent. Just be silent for sure. Don't go to the barrack steps and address the Jews for sure. Don't go and tell the Roman governors for sure. Don't go to the sin-loving king of the Jews. Don't you see how that's going to go for you, Paul? For sure don't ask to see Caesar in Rome. For sure not Nero, Paul. You're going to lose your head. Don't you see how that's going to end? You're saved. You've made a good effort. Just be silent, Paul. Just be silent. Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, But woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul in 2 Timothy says, preach the word in season and out. Preach the word. Calvary Baptist Church, listen to me today. The answer has not changed. The solution is still the same. The call still stands. Preach the gospel. Oh, this world is wicked. You know what it needs? The gospel. Oh, people are mean. You know what they need is the gospel. Oh, they're ready to attack us. You know what would change their hearts? The gospel. It's where peace is found. It is still the answer for all people. Oh, do you see the world, how it rears up against Christianity? You know what they need? The gospel. Today, right now, the greatest need is the good news of Jesus. Do you believe that? Are you serious? Do you believe that? The greatest need is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ today right now. The message rests with us. If they're ever going to hear your friends, your neighbor, the folks down the street, the folks somewhere else, if they're ever going to hear of our risen Savior, the message rests with the church, with us. Today, right now, we must tell others. Do we believe that? We must be ready. We must be prepared. We must be active. And so we come to this place. We're going to stop right there. We're going to come back next week and hear what he says to King Agrippa. But I, I want us to think about one last thing, and that is this. So what is this message? So what is this message that's the hope of all people? So what is this message that's greater than a, than a conquering army? So what is this message greater than the devices of men? Here's the message. God so loves you. He loves you. He knows you. He sees you. He loves you. And while we were yet in our sin, he sees you. He sees that we've earned a punishment in our sin. Separation from him. He sees what we've done to ourselves, how we've hurt ourselves. He sees that we need a redeemer. Reconciliation. And so the good news of this message, the only help of men is that he sends his only begotten son, that he leaves the glory of heaven, that he comes the king of kings. He takes on human flesh that he created. He comes and he lives as a man, not just as a, as a man that's exalted as a king in the high places, 
But the Bible says as a servant, the lowest, the least, not esteemed is what the Bible says, not given any value. And he comes and he travels his days on this earth. He doesn't sin not one time, tempted in every way as we are tempted. He does not sin. That he's able to present himself as the final Passover lamb, the lamb of God without blemish. That he's able to take our sin, my sin, and your sin, to have it placed upon him. The Bible says he even became my sin, our sin. And there he does what we can never do. He remedies it. He fixes it. He goes to the cross, and it is paid for in him on the cross of Calvary. That is the good news of the gospel. Settled in him. Not of any work you could ever muster. Finished in him. He dies, he says, it is finished. Paid in full. They take him off of that cross. He's dead. For the wages of sin is death. He's paid it. They place him in a borrowed tomb. And I want to tell you the good news, the only hope that we have is in a Savior that walks out of that tomb three days later. And he stands as the risen Savior, the hope of sinners. Death defeated. Sin paid for. And the cross of Calvary. He stands as the King of kings, the risen Lamb. And the Bible says the only message that will change a heart, the only message able to change an eternity, the only message worth telling any person is that by faith in him you shall be saved. By simple faith trusting him. Lord, I know of my sin. And I know of my punishment I've earned in my sin. And I see you as my Savior, my hope for my sin. And Lord, I claim you as my Savior. I trust you as my relief, the remedy for my sin. The Bible says if we'll do that in great humility, asking him for the power to re repent, turn from that, and to turn to him, he will save us. Need a committee to meet? No. Need a vote of some other group? No. Need something to add to it, a work to impress God? Not, not even possible. If we will turn to Jesus in faith, he will save us. Listen, that's the good news. That's the answer of all people. That's the answer of every sinner. We have a Savior, Jesus. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, if you've never trusted that Savior, we're going to close with a time of invitation. And maybe you say, you know what, I, I hear that and my heart responds, Lord, I, I see my sin and I'm sick of it. And I see you as the Savior for sin and I embrace you today. I ask you to save me. He'll do it. Just a moment, we're going to sing, and if that's your response, you come. Let's settle that today. If you need more information, you come. Don't leave here without a settle. Let's settle that today. And then for those of us that are saved, we've got to walk out of here knowing we've got a duty. We have, we have a duty to show the grace of God, the goodness of God through our Savior, Jesus. Tell the world of a Savior. And that is our duty. That is our call. God, propel us in that. Make us bold for that. We're going to conclude in just a moment, and if you've put your faith in Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism, Bible, the New Testament, it's not me, it's not a denomination, it's what the New Testament says. It's always by immersion, always after a person is saved. It is a testimony of what we believe of Christ. He dies, he lives again. It's a testimony of who we are in Christ. We've died with him, we now live and walk in his power. You come, we'll set a day, it'll be a great day of testimony, it'll be a great day of celebration, pointing to what we believe of Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll uphold his good news, preaching it until he comes. Maybe you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you're dealing with something altogether different. 
I truly do believe, I say it, I, I truly do believe it's the most important time of this hour, of this day, our, our chance to respond to the truth of God's preached Word. If God is speaking to you, if you have more questions, if you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you come on and I'll meet you here. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come and we're thankful for hope that endures, for peace, for people that have sinned against you, for reconciliation, redemption, renewal. Lord, we, we glory in that. Lord, I pray for some that need to receive the gospel, the good news today. I pray that any hindrance, every hindrance will be removed. I pray today they would respond in faith. I thank you, Lord, for, for your grace shown in that. Lord, I pray for those that need to take another step, those that have followed Christ in faith but not followed in believers' baptism. I pray that they would come in boldness as you've commanded them, not part of your salvation, but testifying to it. Lord, I pray that they would come. I pray as you've told us to, to come in a church and to serve through a church, that if you're leading someone here to unite with us, that they would come as well. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing in other ways. I pray, Lord, that they respond in, in like response. And then we just come and say, Lord, we're thankful that there is good news. We're thankful there is a good Savior. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.